nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Hello, and welcome to an exclusive Next Level webinar, Pitch Deck Secrets, crystallizing your thoughts through an internal deal memo with Rob Beardsley. I'm your host, Adam Carswell, today joined by my amazing co-host, Charlie Wessel. Uh, as I just mentioned, today we're entering the mind of Rob. Love the next level backstory on this one. Going to get to that in a minute. But first, uh, you know, we were breaking the ice before we hit record here. But for the sake of the replay, uh, Charlie, Rob, what are you guys looking forward to today in that order? We'll start with Charlie. Um, I'm looking forward to hear more about uh, the way that Rob runs these deals. I mean, you know, he's obviously uh, hit some home runs. He's, he's an incredible thought leader in the space. And he's respected by a lot of people in this in this arena. Um, especially, you know, being, being at it for three years, Rob, that's, that's pretty, it's pretty heavy. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah. And so I'm excited to, I haven't really ever talked about this topic before, but it's going into more about, you know, uh, like, like Charlie, you brought up managing deal flow and then going into specifically, you know, we talk about the, me specifically, I talk about the number so much, which is important, but I think you need to look at the deal holistically, right? If we get lost in the numbers, you can get, you can get lost. And so uh, a deal memo, as I'm calling it, is a good way to kind of get all your thoughts on paper, have all the, so you could just look at a one, one to two page sheet and get, get the essence of the deal. There we go. All right, guys. Well, here we go. We are sponsored by Liberty Real Estate Fund today. That's the world's first single tenant net lease security token. And for more information on Liberty Fund, you can visit libertyfund.io. We are also sponsored by Raise Masters, the number one mastermind for elite capital raisers. You can learn more and apply via the link in the comments here coming up soon. Thank you, Aaron. Um, and if you're with us on the replay, the link to Raise Masters is in the show notes as well. And fun fact, Charlie is an active member of Raise Masters raising capital at an, at an elite level every day. So if you're with us live one more time, thank you so much for investing your most valuable resource, resource with us, your time. Let's get that chat box warmed up now. I saw John in there. He liked the Metallica we were playing before uh, for copyright reasons. There, there's a reason why we didn't put that in the actual recording portion. But if you ever join us on a Next Level Webinar Live, just know the first five minutes are a little bit of a party. So you don't want to be here. But yeah, go ahead. Um, get that chat box going. Punch in who you are, where you're tuned in from. If you're on Facebook right now, you can do that there as well. And there is also going to be a link provided so you can come join us here in the main Zoom room if you so choose. And you know, lastly, if you're on the replay, we kindly ask that you like and subscribe. It helps a ton with the performance of this presentation as well as future Next Level webinars. And lastly, if you're listening on the Dream Chasers platform, be sure to drop us a five-star rating there and follow the link to the video replay. All right, so you guys are gonna get a ton of value today. Massive, massive amount. So please grab your notepads if you can, exit out of any other distractions that you might have in front of you as we make our way through this webinar. Um, I'll again, continue to break the ice here with a little bit of a backstory about a year ago, Rob presented to our group, our clients, our members over at ASIM capital. And he gave a fantastic underwriting presentation that, I mean, since then, it just seems he was probably already off to the races before that he's been operating for three years now, but just since knowing him then, which is about a year ago until now, it's just like, Whoa, what's going on here? What's this kid's secret, <laughs> secret sauce? Cause he's, uh, we should mention this here too. He's, Correct me, Rob, you just turned 24, right? Yep. 
So, and for all you young hustlers out there, and Aaron, I know who's our intern here. Rob, you didn't know this, but you've definitely inspired him a lot because he's uh, Aaron's 20 or 21. So for all you guys out there who feel like you can't do it yet, shining example here, reach out to Rob, go grab his book. He's got a great story. Uh, we'll save the rest of the story for later and focus on the main <laughs> presentation here today, though. So um, as I mentioned, guys, on Facebook, don't be shy. Go ahead and punch your, or your questions along the way in there. Same with the chat in the group here or the Q&A, preferably. We'll address those questions at the end of the presentation accordingly. Um, and, and then also on, on Facebook, again, go ahead and do a hashtag next level or hashtag replay, depending on when you're watching this. So. Rob, any any context or backstory there that I missed or where you at? You ready to dive in? I'm ready anytime. But yeah, like you said, it was uh it was great that that presentation, which feels like so long ago, but that was kind of right at the start of of COVID a year ago. And and since then my my underwriting book came out. And so that's kind of uh, you're asking, what's the secret sauce? I feel like you know, putting my thoughts on paper and then releasing that book, which was as you put it, uh I forget what you called it. It was uh, feeding the, filling the uh, gap. Yeah. And quenching the, you know, the thirst the, the, of your niche. That's what it was. Right. Yeah. It, it was such a gap in the market. It, it, you know, the market needed it. And I was so surprised that it didn't exist. And that's what inspired me so much to write the book. And the book just was so easy to write. Whereas I'm writing my second book now and it's just not coming out as easily because it's just not as quite of a, you know, straight home run of, of, of a need in the market, but that's all right. So I'm going to keep on writing. That's right. And so we will, we will definitely get a link to that in the comments as well. Um, and Aaron, I'll, I'll go back and forth with you as, as Rob's presenting to get that. Charlie, did you say something there real quick? Oh, no, I said, keep at it, man. Keep yeah, at it. Yeah. It'll and um, okay, <laughs> so we'll, we'll get going here now, Rob, go ahead and take the mic and just be careful. If this was a real meeting, you might have to protect that whiskey behind you because I know Charlie would be, be snagging it from you, but it's a good thing we're on Zoom today. <laughs> I hear that. Nah, I hear that. All right. Go ahead, guys. Give it up for Rob Beardsley. Here we go. Okay. So I've just got a simple word doc here. Nothing fancy, but this is what, you know, you could call a deal memo, which you can look, it can look however you like. And this is just to give a bit of a background. Our process is if, if, if we're going to make it, if a deal is going to make it to the pitch deck phase where we're fully out to the market and we're, we're pitching investors and, 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 you know, under contract prior to that, we will have a deal memo like this, which is initially just for ourselves to review the deal, but then it goes to our partners, investors to get the first look, because we don't want to wait for a full 40 page pitch deck to be prepared before we show something to our investors. So, uh, and our partners. So this is a great way to just get something quick and it's a, you know, you can templatize it. I encourage everyone to take this and make it their own or, or start from scratch and just basically have a standardized template that you go and you answer the same questions about every deal. That way you're not missing things. And so for, for us, I'll just quickly run through and each of these bullet points essentially could be their own whole topic. And that's why we'll go kind of quickly, but this is more about putting all your thoughts together to make a, a better decision uh, rather than, you know, diving into specifically anything like market analysis or deal analysis. But so starting from the top, you see, we, you know, got to talk about the market, got to talk about the location and that helps, you know, yourself and your investors paint the picture about the deal. You know, what are we talking about? Are we talking about a primary market, secondary market, tertiary market? And I think 
a good way to back those numbers up, which you see below are with some standard data like population growth, which is very important to us and median household income and home value is good. You can also look at uh, household income growth over a period of time. You can also look at projected rent growth, whatever it is that you like to look at, just have it here so that, and if you don't look at any of these things, then you need to start looking at these right away. And I would include, you know, every time that you underwrite a deal or however you kind of organize yourself and your thoughts, I would just pick at least one of these and just start keeping track. And it, because the numbers start out as meaningless. If I told you this deal or this location has a 4.4% one mile co-star projected population growth, that, that could be meaningless to you. But if you start looking at deal after deal and data after data, then it'll you'll start to understand what is a good number, what is a bad number, and get smarter with what you're what you're looking at. And this is very beneficial whether you're an active investor or a passive investor, frankly. So the the big one that I want to talk about, which I've mentioned before, but I think this is something that is uh, just super under talked about. It, it needs to be at the forefront of when people are talking about a deal, it should be one of the first questions and it's the seller story. And for me, it's understanding who is the seller? Why are they selling? What did they pay for the property? When did they buy it? What was their business plan? Were they successful with the business plan? And you know, understanding that whole world. That helps uh, without even looking at a single number, just understanding the story that I just painted there can help, it can almost make you determine if it's a good deal or not. And I would say you still need to under, obviously you still need to underwrite the deal. And sometimes you'll be surprised. But for example, I might tell you that uh, the property was purchased two years ago. They've renovated 40% of the property and they've handled all the deferred maintenance. They've amenitized the property and now they're looking to sell and, you know, sell for 30, 40% more than what they paid for it. That is not a good story. Just objectively speaking, not a good story, but the numbers may work. So you still need to check the numbers, but you want to start stacking up all these things together and to see if the completeness of the story makes sense, uh, it, you know, from the market, the seller story, your business plan and the underwriting, the projected returns, because in certain scenarios, you might say, you know, these returns are adequate. And then in other scenarios, you might say, well, this location is not quite as strong and this business plan's a little risky. So this return is inadequate. And so seeing the holistic view can allow you to make those next level determinations. Um, so so that's, that's the next step in the process. And like I said, not very many people talk about this, but as soon as you start talking to really savvy investors, uh, that's, that's on their mind. And that's one of the first things they're going to ask. They want to know those things. And if you don't know those things, it, you know, that that'll be frowned upon. So when you're out going to investors, you also need to tell them where you're at in the process. So it, and depending on the investor, they may want lots of time. They may want less time and they may want more certainty that you have control of the deal or not. So if you're going to be presenting a deal to a partner or family office or whoever, 
you want to let them know that you're in best and final or you have an accepted LOI or you're under contract. And if you are or not under contract, you should, uh, you know, mention the timeline to contract or the timeline once under contract, what the closing timeline is and, and all of that. And then that, uh, you know, goes to the next step, which is what are you seeking? And so obviously you need to have some idea of the capital structure from the debt and the equity and what you need from investors or an investor and you know putting that into this document here is helpful as well the next one is business plan and projected returns i kind of mentioned this briefly but those are all connected and they're connected with the seller story and the location so you know as far as business plan what are we looking at are we looking at a, a short term value add are we looking at a long term cash flow play what are the interesting wrinkles about the deal? Is it a loan assumption? Is it a, you know, uh, are there down units? Those, you know, those types of things that are interesting that add color to the business plan and can help an investor understand, you know, the value creation story. One thing I bolded here under business plan was uh, our advantage. And so investors want to know why you are the strategic buyer for this asset. You know, is it because you own properties nearby and you can integrate this well into your management portfolio? Or is it because you've executed on a business plan that looks identical to this one and you're well poised to rinse and repeat? So whatever your advantage is, I would highlight that and stress that. So another couple of things I'll point out on the business plan side are insurance and taxes. And so if you're in Texas, like we are, that is those are the biggest questions, insurance and property taxes. They, they seemingly go up every year and you don't want to be blindsided with a new insurance policy. That's twice the cost of the sellers or property taxes, you know, shooting up after you purchase. So, you know, showing investors that you have those items diligenced and checked out, you're using a property tax consultant, you're using an insurance broker, you have a, you have a bid or you have an understanding of, you know, is this in a, a flood zone or not? Those types of things are, are huge. I mean, we're finding that the expense side of the underwriting equation is, is extremely important and you need to be as sharp as possible with your expenses. Otherwise, you know, these deals just aren't going to pencil for you. And to kind of wrap up the business plan, we need to assign, roughly speaking, some sort of risk metric to the business plan. We need to understand is this a, a simple low risk business plan? Is it a high risk business plan? And then if, and then depending on what it is, that helps us correlate to returns. You know, we, we want to have returns that account for risk, you know, risk adjusted returns. We want to have returns that give us room for error. And so that is, that's kind of the next step in the process, which is projected returns. And of course those are IRR cash on cash. So having all your return metrics out there for investors to see, and I would say that you should, um, when you're discussing returns to investors and you're talking to more sophisticated investors, I would put project level returns, not net of fee returns, because the deal structure is yet to be determined. You might have an investor come in and they want to demand a certain preferred return or a certain promote split or fees. So I would leave those open and just present the returns as they are on a project basis uh, 
first. Now, if you're dealing with uh, more high net worth individuals or passive investors, then I would just bake in your structure, which is unlikely to change because in, in those situations, you really put the terms together and then you present them. Uh, I would present those returns net of fees. And then this next part here that we're rolling into is the exit part of the business plan. And then that ties well with the comparables. And so comps, everybody knows that comps are important, but I feel like people get a little bit lazy when it comes to comps. They, they might just copy and paste the comps that were provided in the OM. Or I know that on the sales comp side in Texas, for example, Texas is a non-disclosure state and it's sales comp data is hard to come by because you're not obligated to disclose your price. Uh, so it's not public data, but with that being said, so, so people get lazy and they say, well, there's not a lot of sales comps data and you know, so be it, but that is uh, unacceptable. You need to put in the work and effort to dig up rent and sales comps that best defend your numbers. I love, I love that phrase, you know, defensible underwriting. Um, I think, I think conservative underwriting is dead. It's an overused term. And frankly, the, the, the reality is if you underwrite conservatively in today's market, there's nothing for you to buy. You will remain on the sidelines and be a theoretical investor. Uh, the prices are high, market is competitive, and there's no room for being a conservative, invest, uh, conservative underwriter. It just doesn't exist. So instead, we need to underwrite with defensible assumptions. And how do we defend our assumptions? We do it with data, rent and sales comps, and you know, having our insurance baked, having our property taxes vetted, our CapEx budget, you know, checked by our management team and our, and our construction team and, and so forth. So, so that is hugely important. And then finally the, are the, uh, the risk factors, you know, investors always love to ask the questions like, okay, what, what could cause this deal to lose money? What could cause this deal to need a capital call or what is the break-even occupancy? Which by the way, I think is kind of funny because I'm asked what the break-even occupancy is all the time, but nobody ever specifies what what they're asking for. Are you asking for a month one break-even occupancy, year one, year two, stabilize? Are you asking for an interest-only break-even? Are you asking for an amortized debt service break-even? So it is a little ambiguous, which I did a webinar uh, a month couple months ago now, uh, kind of really taking a deep dive into break-even occupancies, which was interesting for sure. But about risk factors, I think it's nice to put in three risk factors here and then have like a rebuttal or a, a mitigant against all three risk factors. And I think that shows investors that you're, you've thought you're thoughtful and you've, you've thought about the risks and you have, uh, you know, contingencies or rebuttals for those risks. So, I think I did that pretty quickly, knocked that out in about 15 minutes. So, so that is just the one pager, you know, in our experience, if you fill this out completely, it's going to turn into more so two pages, but if you can keep it to one page, I think that's incredible. And, uh, you know, a really good way to just, uh, like we said, crystallize your thoughts on a deal and whether you use this just for internally, just to review the deal and make a decision or to actually take this document and then share it with potential partners or investors. So I'm, I went, I'm sure I went quickly, hopefully, um, you know, Charlie, or we can, um, yeah. are we, uh, are we at, we're at the end here. That was, 
Fantastic. Thank you for the speed at which you moved. That was, that was good. <laughs> um, so guys, now we, now we have some more time for fun and games. Thank you, Rob. Um, I really, you know, I, what I find compelling is it seems as though not enough individuals are, are practicing and in, in doing this, putting together this internal deal memo. So again, um, kind of paving the way by example. And I really want to hear again, what our audience has to say in, in their questions now. So, um, there we go. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, John. Go ahead and especially you two, Scott and John, I know you guys very well. Go ahead and punch any questions you have for Rob in the Q&A. And to break this Q&A session off, Charlie, go ahead and leave the way. We've got, um, we're working with 20 minutes or 20 to 15 minutes right now. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, Rob, I have a question for you here out the gate. Um, how important is the property tax consultant as opposed to just going to the county website and pulling the millage rate? So it really depends on where you are. So I can't speak for every county or state, but in our experience, so, so the thing is, is there's a, so in Texas specifically, there's a. Real quick, every, Bob, is it okay if, if we. Um, unshare. Stop the screen share. Yeah, just so we can. So every year the taxes are reassessed and then you litigate the county and then you get them negotiated down or maybe you just, you settle somewhere. So it's, it's every year it's a new assessment and then you settle. And so, you know, so it's like this. And then the, the tricky thing is, is you might have, you might go to the county website and you might see the 2021 assessed value, but they might still be contesting 2020's value. And so there's always a delay and a lag and you don't know where they are in the process. You don't know if that's the settled value. Um, so it is helpful because, because you might just pull the county and it might be 25 million valuation, but your property tax consultant might say, no, 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 it's actually going to settle likely down here at 20 million. And if you're missing that in your underwriting, you know, there's, there's no way that you're going to win the deal because there's going to be another buyer out there who's going to you know, see that or be advised similarly and then you know, bid accordingly. So so yeah, property tax consultants are great as far as both the acquisition process and then using them, you know, that's their goal. They're willing to provide these services for free so that you use them when it comes to your annual uh, litigations. Gotcha. No, that's great. Great advice. Great advice. And Charlie, feel free to, you know, if you have any other follow-up questions, feel free to, to let them let them loose as we continue to populate the uh, the Q and A box, guys. Again, don't don't be don't be shy. Don't be afraid to break the ice. There, you got I, you got Beardsley I, on the line. <laughs> I did love the term defensible underwriting. Conservative underwriting is dead. You are yeah, dead, sir. It's um, overused. Yeah, it is. It is, and it has cost us a lot of deals because I don't do the underwriting for our team per se. But when the underwriting is done, it's sent to me and it's my job to destroy it. And that's where I pick it apart and try to, you know, I try to destroy the deal to protect our investors. And I'm really good at it. I'm almost too good at destroying the deal. And, you know, somehow I got to come to a happy medium here um, with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's the art of it. You know, it's oh, it like is. you said, it's really easy to kill a deal. It's, it's really challenging to actually look at a deal and find the way to make it work. And still, like you said, at the end of the day, the most important thing is to protect your capital in your investors capital. So 
that is that is hard. How do we actually go out there and put ourselves on the line, find deals to invest in, and 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 still protect our money? Which absolutely, there's a way, uh, but you got to find the right deals. Right, right. Here we go. So we got some action coming through here. My boy Scott Matthews. Scott wants to know. Oh, it's a two part question. Here we go. <laughs> Just curious, Rob. Uh, what do you mean by conservative uh, conservative underwriting being dead? Wouldn't conservative underwriting partially account for a market decline? And part two to that is on on the exit, how are you adjusting your cap rate up or down? Yeah, so I think this is actually the first time I've actually ever said conservative underwriting is dead, but I, I really like it because that was interesting. <laughs> we, we, we've all heard it so many times in every pitch deck or every everyone's pitch is, oh, we underwrite conservatively. But yet- Every day you see deals closing all around you at prices that are very high and you know crazy. If you were to just you know do your kind of standard conservative underwriting, prices would be crazy to you, and they are. And so that's why there there is no. If you want to be an active investor in this market, there's no room for you to be conservative. You can't go, ah, you know that six cap. Let's just make it a six and a half on exit to be conservative, right? Because every little move like that is just going to end up with your numbers showing a, a single digit IRR and you know, you're not going to be excited. So, so that's why I say conservative underwriting is dead. And as far as a market decline, that a decline in value would be great because ideally the way that that would work is assuming fundamentals remain relatively constant valuations come down. Now all of a sudden, you know, your underwriting could afford some conservative wiggle room and the numbers would still pencil, but right now where values are, they are, uh, you know, they're high. And so you need to have your numbers and your execution perfect, uh, you know, to, to, to meet your goals. And then his other point was about the exit cap rate. And for us, it's, you know, absolutely. We need to have an exit cap that's wider than our entry. And that difference needs to be larger depending on the, value add business plan. So the more value add the deal has, the bigger the spread between your going in cap rate and your exit cap rate needs to be. Well said, well said. We're getting some comments coming through here. So I'm checking them. Um, one of, and one, this ties back to kind of our, uh, our origin story today, Rob, a question about your book. Um, I think we mentioned this during kind of like the small talk portion, but again, for the sake of the recording now, how did you first find the inspiration to write, to write your own book? Yeah. So I wrote the, for those that aren't familiar, I wrote the definitive guide to underwriting multifamily acquisitions. And I released it uh, just less than a year ago. And I had this thought for a long time to write the book pretty much for when I first started in this business and I started underwriting because when I started uh, you know, sourcing deals and underwriting, I was looking for a resource just like the book, which would be a just simple, straightforward kind of how-to book, a guide to, to underwriting. And I couldn't find it. Uh, you know, there were, there were some, maybe some courses out there, but there was really nothing out there. And so that's when I decided that, okay, when I figure this stuff out, I'll circle back and, you know, create that, create that, uh, fill that gap in the market. So that was the inspiration. And like I said, I don't know if we were recording, but it was really easy to write because my table of contents was literally my underwriting model. I just looked at the underwriting model and I went input by input and just wrote about every, all the thousands of deals that I've underwritten. I just write about what I've thought when I was filling out that input of the model. So 
One thing, you know, I just remembered on our interview, one thing that I loved about, um, and so for reference to, we'll get this in here, Rob and I did an interview specifically on his book on Dream Chasers, um, the podcast, and uh, you, you said how you like how basically, you know, your book is networking for you while you sleep. And boom, there you go. Axel, shout out to Axel. He just said he just ordered it. Um, I'm working on my first book right now. And I'm just from seeing this and you talking about it is like, man, it's got to be an exciting place to be in. Exactly. Yeah, that's, uh, that's absolutely right. It's, it's huge. All right. So John Paniagua with a question. Hello, John. One of the newest members of Raise Masters, by the way, really excited to have you in our group now. Um, Rob, how about holding back nuggets for investors that don't show up on the conservative underwriting? I've used that and learned from learned it from Hunter, LOL. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. I think I think there's absolutely a time and place for uh, kind of hit, you know, hidden nuggets or what's a good way to say it? Uh, I guess not underwritten upside. And the, those things, I think, I think if you have something that's, that's, you're very confident in and it's real upside, then put it in the model, right? Put it in the underwriting. It's important. But if it's something that you're not so sure about, like, for example, we were talking about property taxes. If you are pretty sure that you can get the property taxes negotiated down but, but it's not a done deal. You know, you maybe want to underwrite to that certain level that you know you can get, but then maybe that, that nugget is, Hey, you know, we think we have a good chance of getting the property taxes negotiated down further or something like that. So I think that's, that's my stance on nuggets. Like if it's a done deal, then it would be silly for you not to include it. Right. It would just be almost inaccurate, but if it's potential upside, I think that's, that's attractive. Good stuff. All right. Yeah. So we got about, yeah, we got about five more minutes here. So a few more questions, Charlie, go ahead. Adam, can you put his webinar on the break-even occupancy link up on the show notes? That would be great. I'd be very interested to see that. I mean, that's part of most people's, um, you know, part of their underwriting is to see, um, and I'm going to use conservative again, but what, you know, the conservative aspects of this underwriting, what are your, you know, your break-even occupancy, you know, di different aspect, if, if you go in at a, you know, different exit cap rate, you know, so yeah, I'd, I'd love to, love to see that webinar. Yeah, that webinar, Aaron, if you're going to go hunting for it, it's on, uh, it's on my YouTube channel. It'll be called RB Webinar 1. There we go. Putting Aaron to work. Love it. He's, he's over here pulling all kinds of links. Um, yep. Got a question from, from my buddy over there on the East Coast, Mark Caesar. Rob, could you explain the waterfall method in your model? Sure. So waterfall is just a way to underwrite or model out a, a partnership structure where, you know, the, the idea of a waterfall is that your, your cash flow waterfalls down and then you've got certain buckets that the waterfall fills up before flowing to other buckets. Or if you've got, you know, you and your partner are earning money uh, on a pari pursue basis or pro rata, that means, you know, your two buckets are being filled at the same time, right? But if one has a priority, then one bucket after the other. So that's, that's the visual of the waterfall, if that makes any sense or is helpful. But the way that the waterfall actually works in practice in the model is, is actually a bit complex. You have to 
build multiple tier structures. And then depending on whether you actually have an IRR hurdle or a preferred return hurdle, you need to, uh, you know, compute the needed cash to satisfy certain tiers before that cash flow can spill over and then move on to subsequent tiers. So, uh, the, you know, unfortunately I can't explain it super well without just actually showing it to you in front of you. But, uh, just basically it's just, you don't need to be an expert by any means. You don't need to know how to build a waterfall. You just need to know how to plug in 8% pref, 30% promote, and, and that's really it. So it's really there just to help you build and show your partnership structure and returns. Yeah, Fantastic. Rob, Go ahead, I, was, Go ahead, uh, I wanted to ask you a quick question. Are you guys doing many of your preferred equity deals right now? I mean, do you guys have a lot of that going on right now? No, we, we kind of, in a way, shut it off or slowed way down on it just because we want to focus on acquisitions. Mm-hmm. And the other, the other thing, too, that we figured out after doing a couple of those deals is that uh, it's, it's really hard to raise the equity and because it's just less familiar to investors. So we're kind of swimming upstream a bit, and we found, found ourselves... Uh, just, just finding it hard, very hard and, and for no reason. It's like, why, why are we trying to kill ourselves to do something so hard? And so, right. so we recognize that the best vehicle for preferred equity for multiple reasons is actually a fund. And so the, the, the next step down the line would be a fund. So that way we can invest quickly, right? Because people come to you for preferred equity and they, they want to close fast. And so that's one great thing about a fund. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's our, that's where we are. Yeah. I'm sure lots of, uh, Lots of sponsors will be interested as to when you uh, start that fund up, because it is a pretty good vehicle. For I read your manifesto. All right, here we go. Clock's ticking, guys. <laughs> we got about enough time for one more uh, question. We'll give you a moment here to to comment. If not, I know Charlie and I will gladly take the reins. Your little yeah, here, five. here's here's one off the ahead, <laughs> off off the path a little bit, but um, I mean, how how else do, are you investing your money these days? I mean, are you investing in crypto or in the stock market or anything else, or is it are you just keeping your uh, all your dry powder for apartments? I wish I were investing in crypto, but I am, I am not. <laughs> uh, so I had a little bit of money in the stock market and I pulled it all out, not for any, you know, reason or not, not for any directional reason, just kind of didn't, didn't feel the need. Uh, something interesting. This is like, like we're out there at this point, we're just talking about weird stuff now, Yeah. but yeah. Uh, worthy weird. bonds, worthy bonds was something that I found was pretty interesting and it's uh, liquid and they pay 5% and they make small loans to small businesses mm-hmm. and they, you know, they, they loan based on inventory and this and that. So they claim to have a good LTV, but I don't really know how much I believe them, but they're, they, it looks like they're doing well. They've completely sold out of these bonds, which I get it. I mean, the blend of liquidity plus a 5% yield is, is extremely attractive balance of return and, and liquidity. So, so yeah, so I, put as much money as I could into that before it, it filled up. And otherwise, like you said, uh, the, the vast majority of my money is in, in my own deals and will continue to, to be that way. Yeah. Good, man. Like you said, uh, 
you're considering crypto. We just did a webinar on that a couple of weeks ago. So on the Facebook version of this, I tagged my buddy, John Caldwell, told him to reach out to you. Um, and then uh, we'll, we'll bring this one in for a landing here because I see Tyler Lyons with a, a good question here. And Tyler is also a part of the, the ASIM community. He's gone through our stuff. Awesome, dude. Um, and I know Tyler, like myself, and I'm pretty confident, Charlie, correct me if I'm wrong. Like we all like whiskey. We're whiskey drinkers, right? And I just see Rob with the Oh, yeah. No, I can't. Yeah. No, there's some uh, <laughs> there's some scotch up there I see right now that I would love to share a glass with Rob with one day. On there the we go. Tyler deal, said that's next, a fact. <laughs> yeah. On the next deal that we do together, Rob, I'll, I'll be glad to fly to New York. I'd love to. Absolutely. <laughs> so that sounds so great. Real, real, so real quick, we'll get this this question from Tyler and, and, and wrap things up. So, Rob, what's the highest impact thing that you did to build your brand and credibility um, as a capital raiser slash syndicator. So there's there's uh, there's two answers here, and the the first one is the slow and steady and and boring one, and then the second one is is the faster, you know, get it done now. So the the first answer, which is the slow and steady, is the first thing I did was I was heavily influenced and inspired by Howard Marks and his quarterly memos. I love if you're not familiar. Howard Marks is the founder of Oak Tree Capital, a very large private credit manager. And he's been writing memos since the early 90s. And being able to, he's an invest, investment genius. And, he, and you can actually see the markets as they've evolved from the 90s to today uh, through his eyes, which is amazing. And so that inspired me to want to write and want to you know, put my thoughts down. And so I early on started writing monthly newsletters and you know the and the thing that howard marks is, is his stuff's not simple it's not 10 easy steps to buy your next deal or whatever it's 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 deeper stuff and so that attracts me so i kind of carved that as my lane and wanted to attack topics that were deeper maybe even more controversial because i was i noticed that a lot of people didn't want to put their 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 credibility on the line they didn't want to say something that someone might think is wrong so they would just kind of speak in general terms, but I wanted to say, no, this is my approach. These are my numbers. This is how I think about a deal. And then people could say, oh, I, I agree. I disagree. And then everybody learns. So, so that writing and ener energy, you know, which then went into the book is, is, is by far the number one thing, but that takes time. It takes years. So the faster way to build credibility as a capital raiser is partnering. Obviously that's such an obvious answer, but I think it's uh, it's huge. Unfortunately, real estate's a very partnership-friendly business. We're all very collaborative, not competitive. You know, we don't look at each other as competitors, and I, uh, so that's great. And then the other thing that's great too is, you know, it's very appropriate to date in real estate. You don't have to do a deal and then be married and do deals forever. You could just do a deal one time and see how it goes. So I highly encourage people, uh, you know, to do, to take a smaller chunk of a larger pie. Love it. Love it. Great feedback. Thank you, Rob. And I almost forgot. I got to always do this at least once because I was like so happy once I finally got it set up. We got like the, the hybrid effect here. So anyone who doesn't have a dual camera yet, um, I don't know. There's something magical about it. You got to I highly recommend doing it. So um, I got that from 10X GrowthCon, a guy named Pete Vargas. Look him up. He's a very smart guy. So anyways, go ahead and uh, we'll go ahead and bring this one in. Um, Rob, what's the best way for everyone to follow up and get in touch with you? So to learn more about us at Lone Star Capital and to get in touch with me, head over to our website, lscre.com. 
on our website, there's a uh, free download of our underwriting model. If you want to learn more about that and use that as a complement to the book, if you want to check out the book, uh, you know, you can find it on Amazon, the definitive guide to underwriting multifamily acquisitions. There you go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for investing your most valuable time with us today. Your most valuable asset with us today, your time at this next level webinar, Pitch Deck Secrets with Rob Beardsley. If you found value in today's message and you're with us on the re replay, be sure to go ahead and like, share, and subscribe there as well, because that really helps us bring on uh, high-performing individuals just like Rob in the future webinars. Uh, Charlie and Rob, real quick, I know we got to get out of here, but let's get a few closing remarks. We'll start with Charlie and then go over to you, Rob. My um, thanks and hats off to Rob. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing more of your solid knowledge here, man, and spreading the, spreading the gospel. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much. I, like I said, you know, I love the collaborative nature of the business. So it's, uh, you know, fires me up to produce more content and to, you know, I love, uh, you know, I love when people agree or disagree. I just like the feedback. So I think that's, that's one of the big reasons to keep doing it. So we all learn. Absolutely. Collaboration is key. So uh, one more big thank you to Aaron Eiler, who is our, our intern here working hard behind the scenes, making sure we get those links. And Aaron, I'm about to give you another link moment here. A big thank you to our sponsor, Liberty Real Estate Fund, the world's first single tenant net lease security token. For more information on Liberty Fund, you can visit libertyfund.io. And we were also sponsored by Raise Masters, the number one mastermind for elite capital raisers. You can learn more and apply via the link in the comments or the show notes. And guys, thank you one more time to our audience. You guys rock. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Adam Carswell. Major shout out to our co-host, Charlie Wessel. And Rob Beardsley was your rock star of the day. Go connect with him. And guys, remember, in all you think, say, and do, take it to the next level.